King Air Flight Echo, turn right at 120, vector to the downwind. It's IFR Flight Radio. 120, Echo. If you have questions about how to talk to air traffic control while flying IFR, we have the answers. Here's Fourth Air Romeo, turn right at 090. Here's your host, Jeff Kamarish. Welcome back. Or if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome to IFR Flight Radio. If you are just now working towards your instrument rating, or if you can remember back to your flight training for your IFR ticket, you'll recall a lot of energy was spent on instrument approaches and a fairly intense level of communication with approach control. I know in my flight training, a lot less time and energy was spent on talking to controllers at an en route center than spent on talking to approach control. Of course, this might not be the case for you if you used en route center controllers for radar vectors to instrument approaches at smaller remote airports. Today, I thought we'd take some time to focus on en route operations and uncover some nuances in radio communication. By the way, everything I'm going to talk about today is thoroughly covered in my new book, Radio Mastery for IFR Pilots. I'll have more information about the book at the end of the show. All right, there you are, at cruise altitude. And for this flight, let's say your call sign is Skyhawk 9130 Delta. Your abbreviated call sign will be, of course, Skyhawk 30 Delta, which you know not to use unless the controller uses it first. Departure was some time ago, and now you're in contact with a controller at an air route traffic control center, in this case, Jacksonville Center, located in Hilliard, Florida. Under most circumstances, as long as you remain on your cleared route and the en route weather is cooperating, your controller is not going to have a lot to say to you. At most, you may get the occasional traffic advisory from ATC. Skyhawk 30 Delta, traffic 1 o'clock and 10 miles, southwestbound to PA 44 at 8000. All the air traffic controller needs to hear from you if you see the traffic is Skyhawk 30 Delta, traffic in sight. If you don't see the traffic, the correct phrase to use is Skyhawk 30 Delta, negative contact. There's a whole other conversation around the phrase negative contact versus looking or searching or no joy, and we can get into that conversation another time. Let's look at what happens if traffic does present a potential conflict with your flight path. If that's the case, an en route controller will give you a vector away from that traffic even before pointing it out. A typical radio transmission from ATC would sound like this. Skyhawk 30 Delta, turn right heading 330, vectors for traffic. You'd acknowledge that call with Skyhawk 30 Delta, right heading 330. There's no need to repeat the reason ATC gave you for the vector. That's advisory information the controller is required to give you, and as you know, you're not required to repeat advisory information. In fact, I'd encourage you not to repeat advisory information because it takes up time on the radio and does not require verification from the controller. Simply take note of the reason for the vector and read back the part that directs you to take action, which in this case is a change of heading. If ATC vectors takes you well clear of the traffic, which of course it should, you may or may not get a follow-up advisory about the traffic, especially if the controller is busy. But once the traffic passes a beam your position, the controller will say, Skyhawk 30 Delta, traffic no longer a factor. Resume own nav, direct Gainesville. This means ATC has freed you from following the assigned heading, and you may proceed direct to the Gainesville Vortac using onboard navigation equipment. 
your radio response should be Skyhawk 30 Delta, resuming own nav, direct Gainesville. Again, there's no need to repeat ATC's advisory that the traffic is no factor. Mentally note the information, then read back the clearance that requires action. Eventually, you're going to reach the limit of your current controller's airspace. At that point, actually, a little bit prior to that point, the controller is going to hand you off to the next controller managing the airspace you are about to enter. At this point, your current controller will tell you to change the radio frequency to the next controller. Skyhawk 30 Delta, contact Jacksonville Center on 128.7. You acknowledge this with... Skyhawk 30 Delta... 128.7. Now, let me say there's no need to repeat the name of the center since this is advisory information only. Incidentally, there's also no requirement to repeat the frequency. All the AIM says is you need to acknowledge the frequency change. There's no mention anywhere in the AIM of a need to repeat frequencies. So if you want, you can simply acknowledge the frequency change by saying your call sign. Some pilots add the word switching to make the controller aware they know this is a frequency change, but again, there's no place in the AIMs that says you have to use this word either. It's purely a technique. Having said all this, I recommend repeating the frequency to your current controller so he can verify that you heard it correctly. It's not unusual for the radio signal to become weak as you approach the limit of an en route center's radio range, especially when you're flying at low altitude. As a frequency gets weaker, the fidelity of radio transmissions gets poor. So mishearing the numbers in a radio frequency is possible. Unless you fly a particular route often and are familiar with all of the radio frequencies in use, I suggest reading back the numbers of a frequency for verification. Okay, you've been told to switch to the next controller's frequency. You dial the numbers into the standby window of your primary comm radio and press the transfer switch to make the new frequency active. And as soon as you do this, you hear a lot of chatter on the new frequency. The next controller apparently is very busy. In fact, the next frequency is so ridiculously busy, a couple of minutes pass and you ha still haven't had a chance to check in with the new controller. Is this a big deal? No, it isn't. First, remember I said handoffs from an enroute sector to an enroute sector happen minutes before you even enter the new sector. I'm not implying that you should purposely stall for a few minutes before contacting the next controller. What I am saying is... The next controller won't be able to work with your flight for anything other than safety reasons until you have entered his sector. Now hang on to that part about working with your flight. I'll come back to it shortly. So there you are. You've been given a frequency change. You can't get in a word edgewise on the radio to check in with the next controller because the radio frequency is too busy. What happens if traffic conflicts with your flight before you can say hello to the next controller? Even if that controller is busy working with other aircraft, if he sees a traffic conflict developing that will affect you, he will contact you even if you haven't yet had the chance to contact him. Skyhawk 9130 Delta, Jacksonville Center. Skyhawk 9130 Delta, level 8000. Skyhawk 9130 Delta, turn right, 30 degrees, vectors for traffic. Skyhawk 9130 Delta, right, 30 degrees. 
Let's back up for a moment because I don't want you to think your flight is operating in some sort of vacuum in the interval required to hand you off from one controller to the next. The radar range for any en route center controller can typically look 50 to 100 miles into adjacent sectors. In some cases, a controller's radar may look up to 200 miles beyond his sector if he has his radar display range set to do so. In almost all cases, before your current controller completes a handoff to the next control sector, he will look ahead to ensure there are no traffic conflicts with your flight before completing the handoff. If there is a potential for a conflict, he will work with you to resolve the problem before handing you off. The circumstances in which a conflict arises during a handoff are very rare. They usually involve pop-up traffic, that is, traffic that was not on a controller's screen at the time of the handoff. Frequently, pop-up traffic happens when a VFR aircraft not in touch with ATC climbs from below radar coverage into radar coverage. In summary, even if you can't get in touch with the next controller due to radio congestion, he will call you if he needs you. Don't sweat a slight delay in your ability to contact the next controller. Certainly attempt contact at your first opportunity, but don't worry if you can't get in touch immediately. Now, let's get back to the part I mentioned earlier about a controller not being able to work your flight for anything other than safety reasons before you enter his sector. Ideally, ATC's computer system is tuned to arrange handoffs so you are switched to the next controller about the time you enter a sector. This timing is designed to get you transferred to the next controller at or before you enter his sector so you aren't blasting through his airspace before you establish radio contact. What happens more typically is the handoff happens quickly and you get in contact with the next controller before you've actually had time to enter his sector. This is why your next controller will not be able to help you with special requests when you first get in contact with him. For example, when you first contact the next en route controller, if you request a course change, the next controller will not be able to immediately approve your request. He is obligated to keep you on your course to keep your path predictable while you remain in the previous controller's airspace. If he wanted to help you out before you cross the boundary into his sector, he would have to contact your previous controller by landline and get approval to change your course. You probably noticed the automated process of an ATC handoff normally requires no voice communication between sector controllers. This is by design to reduce communication between controllers and to reduce workload. Similarly, controllers honor each other's workload by avoiding landline communications as much as possible. If your request to change course is routine, a controller will likely delay approving your request if it means getting on the landline to coordinate it with another controller. I tell you all this because I don't want you to get frustrated the next time you make a request to proceed direct somewhere and your new controller simply says, I have your request, rather than approving the change immediately. You know, we've only scratched the surface on en route operations with ATC. We'll cover more details in a future show. If you want to cheat and read ahead, you can grab a copy of my book, Radio Mastery for IFR Pilots, available right now at Amazon.com. I have full coverage on how to work with en route center controllers, along with everything else you need to know to talk to ATC while flying IFR. If you want to look at the book in detail to see if it's right for you, I have a chapter-by-chapter summary, as well as excerpts from the book at my website, IFRFlightRadio.com. Let's move on to your question of the week. In our last show, I asked this question. 
You are on radar vectors to the ILS Runway 6 approach at Dutchess County Airport in Poughkeepsie, New York. The published missed approach procedure for this approach says, climb to 3,000, direct the Kingston VOR and hold, continue to climb to 3,000 in holding. The weather is VFR, so while on base leg, the New York approach controller says, Comanche and Juliet Mike, the airport is at your 2 o'clock and 9 miles. Report the airport in sight. You see the airport and say, Comanche and Juliet Mike, airport in sight. To which the controller says, Comanche and Juliet Mike, turn right heading 030. You're clear the visual approach, runway 6. Contact tower 124.0. You acknowledge this and then contact tower. Tower clears you to land. Here's your question. If you had to discontinue your approach for any reason, would you expect to fly the published missed approach procedure for the ILS Runway 6, or would you expect Tower to give you climb-out instructions? Here's the answer. If you had to discontinue your approach for any reason, you would expect to receive climb-out instructions from Tower. Comanche A. Juliet Mike, go around for spacing on the preceding aircraft. Comanche A. Juliet Mike, going around. Comanche 8 Juliet Mike, fly runway heading, climb and maintain 3,000. Comanche 8 Juliet Mike, fly runway heading, climb and maintain 3,000. Here's the explanation. Even though you were initially being given radar vectors to the ILS runway 6 approach, when you reported the airport in sight, approach control cleared you for a visual approach. This clearance for the visual is a new clearance that supersedes anything you've been told previously. The published missed approach for the ILS to runway 6 is a procedure that applies only if you had been cleared to fly the ILS approach. When on a visual approach, a completely separate procedure, the ILS runway 6 missed approach does not apply. If a visual approach is discontinued, ATC will always provide climb out instructions. ATC does not provide these instructions unless they become necessary. Does that make sense? Have you heard something different? If so, write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com or leave a comment at the website and we can talk about it. Let's close with something new to ponder. Here's your next question of the week. You are flying en route while in contact with Miami Center. The controller says, Skyhawk 30 Delta contact Miami Center on. 133.45. You acknowledge this with Skyhawk 30 Delta switching. You change your primary comm radio to the new frequency and then transmit Miami Center Skyhawk 9130 Delta level 8000. There's no answer. You try again. Miami Center Skyhawk 9130 Delta level 8000. Again, no answer. You also notice there's nothing but complete silence on the frequency. Here's two questions. First, what could be causing the lack of response? And here's a hint, there is more than one possible cause. And second, what's your next move? I'll have the answers to those questions in our next edition of IFR Flight Radio. Until then, if you have any questions for me, or if there's something in particular you'd like me to address in our next show, you know how to reach me. I look forward to hearing from you. 
Before we go, a quick word about radio headsets. If you're considering getting a new radio headset and you have questions about which one will work best for you, I'd like to suggest a new feature at my sister website that may help you make a decision. Check out the Headset Buyer's Guide at atccommunication.com. I've loaded that page up with headset buying suggestions, a comparison table for looking at headsets in various price categories side by side, and a place to rate a headset you already own. Does that sound like something that might be of use to you? Take a look, see if the buyer's guide helps, and let me know if you have any suggestions to make it even better. Music for the show was provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. If you're flying this week, I hope you have high ceilings and a smooth ride. I'm Jeff Canarish for IFRFlightRadio.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe. Fly safe.